Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, 11 through 13. I'd like for us to stand together for the reading of God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we believe, as one wise man said, that in grace you lead us where we didn't plan to go in order to produce in us what we couldn't achieve on our own. So, Lord, accomplish then the good work that you have begun in us. We will let you. We will joyfully submit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I love Philippians. The theme of Philippians is participation, fellowship in the life of Christ through joyful suffering. This book is about joy, it's about suffering, it's about Christ. This morning, we're zeroing in on chapter 4 and just 11 through 13, the secret of contentment. Being content is one of our greatest challenges, and its opposite discontentment might be one of our most common sins as God's people. A proud discontent. What is contentment? I offer that it's a humble, glad acceptance and a peace with the Lord's orchestration of our lives. Rudyard Kipling in his poem, If, has a line. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster. And treat those two imposters just the same. And then the poem goes on, mainly describing that if you can respond to life in the proper way, then you will be a man. But it's that word, imposter, that caught my attention. Triumph? Triumph is an imposter? It can be. Triumph, success, glory, good fortune, 
and of course disaster. Both can be, both can be imposters. Both do not get at the core of our calling, which is the virtue of contentment and peace with God's orchestration. Neither great achievements nor bankruptcy deliver a person from the need to be content. The Apostle Paul learned this lesson. I have three main ideas today. One, the need for contentment. Two, what contentment is not. And lastly, the secret of contentment. Now the Philippians' gift is what is uh, at work right in the context of our passage to Paul. Paul is rejoicing in this passage in the sacrificial gift from the church at Philippi to him. They were the only church 10 years before to support him when he left Greece. The only church. Paul was excited for them, actually, to be blessed because of their giving and generosity to him. Look at 17, chapter 4. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account, this spiritual profit. As he was eager to bless them as well. 19, and my, glo- and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The Philippians were helping to bear Paul's burden, which is our calling for each other. In verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. So, what's interesting is that even in this great man's life, in this extraordinary testimony he gives about contentment, he is saying it all in a context where he has been loved by the Christians at Philippi. Even the Paul, even the mighty Paul, and he was mighty, needed the life of the Christian community. Look at verse 18. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. This is what the church is to be all about. Mutual indwelling. Not living in a determined isolation from or protective individualism from each other, from our neighbor. Not warring and sparring, competing. But instead, building each other up. One anothering well, so to speak. It's all over this letter and Paul's writings as a whole. The passion he had for other people. I'd like to give just a few comments about this in particular. Philippians and Paul on healthy body life. This, this sharing in the afflictions of others and bearing one, another, one another's burdens. With eagerness, we should bend over backwards, as seeking to outdo one another in love 
and support. Grace upon grace for each other. Fragrant aromas, words to each other that nourish and are kind. Life is hard. Life is hard. But it helps exponentially in life's hardships. And the war to be content when you have your brothers and sisters encouraging and supporting your back. Now, of course, sometimes in community we disagree. All that's totally normal. We rub each other the wrong way. We get upset. Sometimes we have to have hard conversations. Have them. But as you do, make sure that it is more about winning your neighbor than in giving them a piece of your mind. Guard your heart. Watch your words. There's a massive difference there. And the conflicts we experience together make sure that your care for that person comes through the loudest. Brothers and sisters, this is what we want for parish life right here. And Paul is talking about this kind of fellowship in our passage. It's very interesting, actually. The, um, one of the most common words that we know um, from Greek as non-Greek speakers is koinonia. It's probably one of the most known words um, in Greek for the Christian community. And it's all over um, the book of Philippians, but we might not necessarily see that because the words that have the root of uh, fellowship, the, the, the koinonia, the root of the word koinonia, they don't translate over to the word fellowship or the idea of fellowship um, in the English throughout the book of Philippians. But if you look at it, um, in Philippians, koinonia is all over the book. And look, it's interesting. Look here at verses 14 and 15. It's the word, it's the root word uh, fellowship in Greek right here for the word share. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves, verse 15, also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church koinoniaed with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. This is one of the important implications of this. Fellowship, body life, is not just about words, as important as those are, and they are, but it's also about sharing your whole life, the substance of your life, goods and words and actions and love. It's all of it. It's a sharing and a bearing, a mutual indwelling with the body in the more robust sense of the word fellowship. It has a lot of import for us as we think about the word. It sure helps to get through life's trials when we have a community of our brothers and sisters, a commitment to one another in which we say that everyone is cared for thoroughly. So how important is contentment? Here's the first point, the need for contentment. It's time to be honest. The Lord has immeasurably blessed you, even you. He chose you out from millions 
and gave you a righteousness not of your own, but of himself, his very self, through the cross. The cross is our life. It offended us. We were condemned by it like nothing else could have offended us because of what it said about our true nature, that we are vile, that we really are that bad. But then the symbol of our bankruptcy and treachery before the Lord, the cross, is actually through the mercy of Christ, our very affirmation. Who else can give us affirmation, security, and blessing but what Christ has given us in redemption? And so when we calm down and really ponder what matters in life, it is a holy, healthy, and happy conscience, a peace, a peace with God. I'm right with God. That's what's most important. The peace with him by which peace with others is even possible. We have this peace in our Savior. That's what matters. The need for contentment. A central element of being a Christian is being grateful. Gratitude comes before contentment. If you want contentment, you have to enter the door of gratitude. It's synonymous, I think, to say, I am thankful with, I am Christian. Are you a Christian? We should say, yes, I am thankful. I'm a Christian. In this day and age, a contented Christian stands out like a golf green in the middle of a parched desert. That's how stark a contented Christian stands out. Especially because we live in a culture that believes in entitlement. The fight for contentment begins with the realization that we aren't entitled to anything, period. We have no rights. I have no rights. You have no fundamental rights, ultimately. But the refrain of our culture is, what about my rights? The Constitution. But instead of an angry demand of God that things ought to be different, gratitude is in order. What do you have that you have not been given? We came into the world naked. We come into the world utterly dependent upon the graces and the gifts and the blessings, all of it, that God sends our way. It's not ours. We don't go around in life. What happens is is we get older and we walk around like we own the place. And we think like we own the place. We have that mentality, that sense of entitlement. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous for your peace. Life and all the good things that we have had in our lives are mounds and mounds of unbelievable gifts. Good gifts. And this is just the beginning. But here's Paul. Paul learned to be content in all circumstances. It's amazing. He learned to be obedient in this virtue with labors, beatings, danger of death, 195 lashes, beaten with rods three times, stoned, three times shipwrecked, dangers from every source imaginable. 
many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, in cold and exposure, and the daily pressure of concern for the churches under his care. And he learned the secret to be content. But for us, so much of this is about those little battles every day, isn't it? I'm tired of my house. I'm tired of my kitchen sink. It's too little. I'm annoyed with the heat. Or it's bigger things. I'll be happy when I have this person out of my life. Or if only my boss would do this. Or if the leadership in this church would be this way, then all would be well. If my child will reach this point in his life, then I will allow myself to have peace. But that's a trap. As though the Lord thinks of anything in our lives and says, Oh, I forgot about your child. I'm so sorry. I'll get right on that. Nothing is lost on God. Nothing in your life. It's about the business of what he's forming and doing in you and in others around you and your responsibility in that. This is what is so hard about contentment. The Lord teaches us to be content when we're in the middle of the storm, not when we're on the beach with a pina colada. That's when we want to learn contentment, but that's not when we're to learn it. And it really doesn't matter how good your situation is. This is a struggle for all. It's like the love of money. You can be anywhere on the spectrum of idolatry with money and still struggle with a greed for more. Rich or poor. Sometimes the poor have more love of money and obsession with mammon than even sometimes some of the rich. Rich or poor, it doesn't matter where you are, this is God's will for your life. To wrestle with these things and to come under him in faith with what he is calling us to do. Verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul is full. We read verse 18. He says, I'm full. I've received everything. In a... Paul's in prison. And he says, I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, thankful for the gift from the Philippians and their fellowship with him. Paul knows how to get along in humble means and in prosperity. He's learned the secret. And so he says in verse 12, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and suffering need. Contentment is passion. Contentment is not stoicism. It's not emptying yourself of all passions so that you can just kind of be numb and better handle desire better. Contentment biblically is not stoicism. It's passion, but it's funneled in obedience to the next right thing in front of you. And the rest is entrusted to God with so much of what we cannot control. Number two, point two, what contentment then is not? Quitting. It's not quitting. It's not giving up. 
It's not an ascetic attitude towards our deep passions and our desires and our dreams. It isn't emotional flatness and indifference. It's not a pouty resignation to refuse the good fight against our own sin. We aren't to be content with present sin, but we are to stop wishing for a different situation. It isn't mere acceptance of the status quo either. Herein lies the challenge with contentment, right? The challenge in our broken, fallen world and institutions is to be loyal and content with the general situation we're in and the people of God has put around us in our circumstances while still striving carefully to bring about biblical change where needed. All without getting bitter and angry. This is what we're called to. We might think, that's too hard. That's ridiculous. No. God calls us to do hard things, not easy ones. A contented faith is patient. Maturity is to be loyal and committed to God, your family, and your church, warts and all. Instead of barking about problems, we are to be known for our prayer, rolling up our sleeves and work. Then be patient. You see, contentment is a realistic view towards all of your life. What is the secret of contentment? Point three, what is the secret of contentment? Christ's strength. Knowing him. That's what it was for Paul. That's what it is for us. Knowing him. Imagine this. God is so good. The supreme good in the ancient philosopher's sense. The good that is better than anything. So good, in fact, that just to genuinely know him brings peace. God is that good. He's that powerful. That just to know him is really, ultimately, all we need. Right? This Samaritan woman, Sunday school, she, she was a mess. Her life was a mess. But once she realized who the Messiah was and his redemption, she, she, she dropped what she was doing and she ran. Knowing him is enough. Everything else pales in comparison and is counted as nothing. Where do we see this in Paul? Flip over to the page to the left, chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. Read with me. Look at what Paul says. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. All that pedigree, all that performance, all that prestige, all that success. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. What's the goal? That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the koinonia of his sufferings. Think about that. A lot of people, they don't, I don't want that kind of fellowship. I don't want the fellowship of suffering. That's, that's, that's the core. That I may know him. The power of his resurrection. What comes before resurrection if you want to know the power of the resurrection? Death, defeat, failure, suffering, and we know sin. To know the power of the resurrection is to know death and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, living a cruciform-shaped life, taking up your cross, being conformed to the pattern of the way the kingdom comes, which is through sacrifice and suffering, yes, and joy, to the power of the resurrection. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You go to the gym, if it's a Christian gym, which there's not many Christian gyms out there, but you've probably seen the poster, and it's got a guy who's like, what's it called when you rock climb without any ropes, you know, and he's like hanging off the precipice of a rock with no ropes, and he's just hanging by his fingers. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> well, that's probably true if you're going to go to that level, but... Notice the challenge and the war of contentment here. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, even contentment. That level of rock climbing, that level of challenge by Christ's power, even something as difficult as that, God can give me the gift to do and to be. And we need it because we are not sufficient in ourselves to be content in our own resources. Christ is our sufficiency. And we get to rest in him through faith. Sometimes we need to simplify things in the Christian life, I think. Believe Jesus. Really. Rest in Jesus. Really. Enjoy and obey Jesus. That's the Christian life. The Lord puts us in uncomfortable and undesirable situations and times in our lives so that we may know him better. We do need to prize knowing him more than the frustrations of our life. Isn't that what life is all about anyway? We're here to know Christ how has it gotten in our heads that we are here to live the most pleasurable life possible? This is the real goodness of the Lord, though, that when we stop trying and striving and warring to live the most pleasurable life possible and instead focus more on living for him, 
we end up living the most pleasurable life possible. Why? Because we were made to pour out our lives for Jesus' glory, not our own. That's what we're made for. And so, therefore, that's where we will find the most contentment and satisfaction is in that place. But we need to take our sometimes relentless, restless hearts to verse 7. Look at it. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your heart, as others have said and brought out from this passage. You can bank on it. It's not your peace that guards you. Way too much stuff in the Christian life where we try to manufacture our own peace. No, it is God's peace that guards you. Don't try to control your life. God does what he wants, and it is good. Even over the fall, even over the consequences of sin that he allows. Be content. It's easy to say. Hard to live. But what if... This happens then. What then? God has you. God has your loved ones. He has them. That's all we really need to know ultimately. But I want to say this is also why we need each other. We can't do the Christian life on our own. We need friends like Paul did. People that really know us to pursue others and to be pursued. In conclusion, I challenge us all, be content. I also challenge this. How can I, how can you pursue others to know them, to really know them? How can you let others know you more? Friendship and community can get you through a whole lot of garbage. Friendship and community can get you through a lot of garbage in life. It is our job to make sure everyone here gets through the valley of the shadow. Let's pray. Lord, you are God. You are big. You have broad shoulders. You can handle a lot. Father, keep us from trying to control, to manage, to manipulate, and to worry over things that you can only work out anyway. We're not God. We're not you. You are. And that is a comforting fact. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Contentment is an invitation to a feast. Don't think of it as another thing. 
to do in your already full life, and don't think of it as something else you're failing in. Just add it to the list. No, contentment is relief. When you have that, then you can really live your life and enjoy it too. But for real, how do we get contentment? Christ's strength, His broken body, His shed blood. Why did He do it? As the Nicene Creed that we just said says, for us and for our salvation. That's why. So don't strive. Rest and receive Him. Congregation, imagine what the Lord could do with a whole congregation filled with thankful and grateful people. Let's pray. Father, you have satisfied our deepest need with your very broken body raised to life. We give thanks. Amen. Pray together. Our Father, we are filled. We are content. We love you, all your children, and we receive your commission into the world now. Amen. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.